Good morning and welcome to the Vince Coakley Radio Program. It is Wednesday. It seems like this week is going by pretty quickly. And hopefully, that will be the case for the next couple of hours as we cover a lot of things that are going on in our world. I want to begin with some positive news. And yet, at the same time, I think in light of the events that are going on in the Middle East, it's appropriate that we have an important message going on on the Senate floor as we speak. Uh, Bernie, if you're able to find a source for this, I would like to listen in for a bit to some comments on the ongoing concerns we have about anti-Semitism here in the United States of America. This entire situation with... Israel and Hamas has certainly exposed a lot of things that have been just below the surface of all people. Um, and I don't mind listening to this message because I think it's an appropriate message for this time. The Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer is addressing the Senate on concerns about anti-Semitism. Let's listen in to a little bit of Chuck Schumer. Focus my remarks on anti-Semitism because it hits so close to home for me and because I believe this moment demands it. I have just said what this speech is not. So what is this speech about? I want to describe the fears and anxieties of many Jewish Americans right now, particularly after October 7th, who feel there are aspects of the debate around Israel and Gaza that are crossing over into anti-Semitism, rank anti-Semitism, with Jewish people simply being targeted for being Jewish, having nothing to do with Israel. I want to explain through the lens of history why this is so dangerous. The normalization and exacerbation of this rise in hate is the danger many Jewish people fear most. And finally, I want to suggest how and why I hope that all Americans of goodwill can come together and do a better job of condemning such views and such behavior. But first, let us establish the facts. There's no question that anti-Semitism is a serious problem in America. In general, Jewish Americans represent 2% of the U.S. population, yet we are the targets of 55% of all religion-based hate crimes recorded by the FBI. This problem has been steadily worsening in recent years. But after Hamas attacked Israel on October 7th, hate crimes against Jewish Americans have skyrocketed. The Anti-Defamation League estimates that anti-Semitic incidents have increased nearly 300% since October 7th. The NYPD has recorded a 214% increase in New York City. And after October 7th, Jewish Americans are feeling singled out, targeted and isolated. In many ways, we feel alone. The solidarity Chuck Schumer addressing the issue of anti-Semitism right now in the Senate chamber. And this has been a concern that has increased, as he has described, over the last few weeks after the events of October 7th. And we've seen incidents all over this country of very blatant anti-Semitism expressed where there is absolutely no shame whatsoever, even to the point of violence and threats. 
So our hope and our prayer is that this would be a season for those who are affected of some self-examination and of adjustment in attitudes, behaviors. That is our hope in the coming days. Breaking news right here on the Vince Coakley radio program as we begin our broadcast. One of the things that I'm very encouraged by, I've seen this, and I've mentioned this on this broadcast before, I'm very, very encouraged by the fact that I, now more than ever, I'm seeing a diversity of thought that seems to be developing in the black community that has been a long time coming. Many blacks like myself have felt a sense of being that voice in the wilderness for so long because we have not seen and heard others who are people of color embracing conservative values and ideas. And now, uh, you know, whereas when I was a teenager, I couldn't think of any conservative thought leaders. And, And this is where I really am profoundly thankful for Rush Limbaugh. And the reason is, I think one of the first people that I experienced who was a conservative was Walter Williams. It was so powerful to me when I think back to those days when Walter Williams would fill in on the Rush Limbaugh show. Uh, This guy was just absolutely brilliant. His economic knowledge, his knowledge about human nature, and just his life experience was so rich. There was just not an ounce of victimology in that man. And the ideas, the values that he communicated were, they were an important affirmation. And now I can give you other names, people like Larry Elder. Um, C.L. Bryant, who has gotten to be a friend of mine. And this in addition to some of the people that I have met locally, as so many more people of color felt comfortable coming out of the woodwork and, and very boldly proclaiming, no, we're not on the Democrat plantation anymore. That's the reason I'm profoundly encouraged. I'm going to save the content of this first story for after the break, but this is kind of a preface to my my remarks because what I'm going to share with you coming up is going to be a shocker on two counts. First, you're going to be shocked as to who you're going to hear from. It's somebody you would not think that I would want to hear from at all on this broadcast. Second off, this person is endorsing someone who I am not at this point endorsing because I am not in support of this person's candidacy for president. Nevertheless, see, folks, this shows you never know what to expect from the Vince Coakley radio program. (laughs) I am excited because I am always encouraged by diversity of thought. And that's what you are going to hear evidenced. As we continue our broadcast this morning. Also coming up, I get chills just 
reading and talking about this story. What in the world is going on in China? Masks and social distancing are back. What in the world is happening? And this concern has now swept to Europe. What is going on? We'll also talk about what's happening with U.S. Treasury bonds. We darn well better pay attention to this. And I hope that our politicians in Washington, D.C. are paying attention to this because this is a direct consequence of decades of functioning. I would put that in quotes. Also, the weak need Mr. Magoo on display now on the issue related to Israel will tell you why I'm concerned about what's happening in the White House and its position toward Israel. Plus, we'll talk about propaganda, very effective propaganda by Hamas. All right, folks, it's that time of year. Time for the 30th annual Hancock Spikes for Kids. We're asking you to join the spirit of giving. Start by John Hancock and donate a new bike for a child in need this Christmas. We'll gather on Friday, December 8th. Can you believe that's just a week from Friday? Here at WBT, all the WBT personalities will be on hand to say hello. Hancock Spikes for Kids presented in partnership with WBTV. It's Friday, December 8th, 5 to 9 p.m. Sponsored by Blue Cross and Blue Shield for North Carolina. Visit WBT.com for more details. We started off talking about the atmosphere changing in the black community. One of the things I have been concerned about for many years is this sense of uniformity. Where people have basically walked in lockstep with each other. And not out of principles or commitment to commitment to a set of values, but just tradition. Because people, many people have been voting for so long, Democrat, though a lot of people just never stop to ask why. Why are we voting for these people? Which is why I absolutely love this story reported by Breitbart. This emanates from an interview that took place on the Fox News channel. And this is going to blow a couple of fuses. First off, because the person who is speaking here is a member of an organization that I have pretty much described as being fraudulent from the very inception, the idea, I believe it's based on a lie. And the other fuse blower... (laughs) is the person that this person is endorsing because I'm not a fan. I think I've made that quite clear here. But because I encourage diversity of thought, I love this story. Here's the headline in Breitbart. BLM leader Mark Fisher endorses Trump. The Democratic Party is not for us. Wow. This guy is from BLM in Rhode Island. He made an appearance on the Fox News Channel and Fox and Friends, interviewed by Lawrence Billy Jones. 
And I love what LBJ had to say. He said, this is my favorite story of the day because it identifies what I've seen in the barbershop. All the brothers, for some reason right now, are turning tides right now. What is the big reason? Well, we're going to talk about this. What is the big reason? The guy's name is Mark Fisher. He is this BLM leader in Rhode Island. And the first thing he does is he draws a sharp contrast between the history of the Democrats and Donald Trump. Listen. You know, we've been used and abused for so long at that party. They don't value our vote. Uh, their policies are basically um, racist policies. And I believe it's a racist party. Donald Trump, is he's the opposite. He's, he's going to tell you how, how it is. He's going to give it to you straight. Trump has done more for the black community than I can any president I can think of in my lifetime. First off, Democrat, racist policies, racist party. Uh, yes. This is, you know, and we've talked about the history of the Democrat Party. It's the party of the Ku Klux Klan. And on the point of what has been done for black Americans, certainly in this generation, uh, absolutely yes. Whatever I've said about Donald Trump and continue to say about Donald Trump, it does not negate what he did while he was in office that facilitated economic growth that benefited all of us. At the end of the day, you have to be profoundly stupid, brainless, not to be able to make that observation. Mark Fisher gets it. He understands that this party, the Democrat Party, has been taking blacks for granted for years and has not done a darn thing. Nothing to help black people. So he continues this conversation, and Mark Fisher talks about the idea that this is just the beginning, that support for Donald Trump is ultimately going to grow. Well, I just, I just think that it's going to take information. A lot of people are misinformed. They don't really understand because they don't educate themselves on, on Donald Trump as a person and his history. Um, but if they do that, and it's going to take, you know, leaders, educated leaders, getting the word out there. Um, I think that it, it'll happen on its own and it'll be organic because um, personally, I love the man. I mean, how could you not like if, if a real man? How could you not relate to someone like that? And I've heard this discussion before, especially for men, and, and we've had the conversations about this, about how manhood has been under attack for years, and people are really sick of, you know, I'm just going to say it, they are sick of girly beta males, period. And I've told you there's a whole lot of bravado, false bravado associated with Donald Trump, but at the end of the day, I will take that over these wusses that I continue to see who are dominating the Republican Party. We need to bring back manhood. And it's not coming back with these beta males that have destroyed the Republican Party. And I think this is an interesting point that they're raising about Trump as opposed to you don't hear him praising the Republican Party. Donald Trump, at least, has earned their trust, has earned his trust.
The last thing he talks about is how he is now on a path, and many others are on a path of rejecting Democrats. I think personally, it's the duplicity of the Democrats, mm. the hypocrisy. Um, we're not stupid. The brothers are not stupid. We, we understand when someone's for us and when someone is not. And it's obvious that the Democratic Party is not for us. Yeah, I, I can't. Their, party, their, their policies actually strike at the heart of the black family and the nuclear family. See, and I think this is really interesting. The nuclear family. Now, I don't know who this Mark Fisher guy is. But he doesn't sound like he is a rank-and-file BLM person because, as you know, part of the objective on the front page, at least it was, of the BLM website, was to get rid of the nuclear family. This is a man who gets it. And for the diversity of thought, for the fact that he is thinking, his eyes are open, he deserves praise. And I thought you would appreciate those words this morning. We are back on the Vince Coakley radio program, 37 minutes after the hour of 10 o'clock. As always, your input welcome, 704-570-1110. Love to get your thoughts on this BLM guy endorsing Donald Trump. This is a narrative that's not supposed to happen because, you know, Donald Trump is a racist. You know, in fact, all Republicans are racist. I mean, they've been beating this drum for years over and over and over. You see, this is one of the, I, this, this is where I am. And I don't care whether it's white people or even, frankly, a lot of black folks. The racist thing has been overdone. It's been overdone to the point where so many people are numb to this and they don't want to hear this anymore. Now, I am not naive enough to believe that racism is gone. It's not. But I do believe it's not as prevalent as some would have you to believe. This is a monster the Democrat Party wants to continue to scare black people with so that you will vote for them and save them from the big bad whiteies who are going to come and, you know, kill people, whether it's through cops or whatever it is. And there are people who are just, they're over it. They've recognized, you know what, we are not, I love how he said that, we're not stupid. And for that, I'm very, very encouraged. Eyes are being opened. I am very disturbed to see what's happening in China right now. The Sun UK reports China brings back masks and social distancing. In chilling echo of lockdown over a mystery outbreak, four years on from COVID. This is a mystery pneumonia outbreak. Alarming footage has emerged of mask-wearing crowds inside Chinese hospitals as fears of a new, dare I say it, pandemic sweep across the globe. Areas in the north of the country, such as Beijing have been hit the hardest with reports emerging last week. Hospitals getting overwhelmed with sick children. A common bacterial infection called mycoplasma pneumonia has circulated since May, but is now showing 
ground glass opacity in lung scans, an indicator of severe respiratory illness, also known as white lung syndrome. Many parents deeply worried are having to wait at least a day just for emergency care. China, for its part, continues to insist that flu and the usual winter bugs are to blame for the latest outbreak rather than a new virus, and they can cope with a spike in sickness. How many of you believe the Chicoms on this one? I do not. Local authorities, however, are being called upon to open more fever clinics and promote vaccine uptake among children and the elderly. Efforts should be made to increase the opening of relevant clinics and treatment areas, extend service hours, and increase the supply of medicines, according to the ministry spokesman. Also advising people to wear masks, called on local authorities to focus on preventing the spread of illness in crowded places like schools and nursing homes. But his statement comes after... A Beijing children's hospital told state media, CCTV, that at least 7,000 patients were getting admitted daily to the institution, exceeding capacity. 7,000. It followed up. The largest pediatric hospital receiving more than 13,000 children through its doors. The concerning spread of illness as the nation enters its first full winter season since lifting strict COVID restrictions last December. One professor, Francois Ballou, from the UCL Genetics Institute, has blamed China's strict lockdown, lowering immunity for the exit wave sweeping across the country. See, haven't we talked about this before? That In the process of locking things down, you basically short-circuit the process of the community building immunity. They went overboard. And he's saying this has backfired. While the U.S. and U.K. also saw spikes in infections like RSV and the flu after pandemic rules were lifted, China's have been on a bigger scale. Things escalated further last week when the World Health Organization forced into a rare public intervention, formally requesting further information from Beijing on the infections. The WHO said no unusual or novel pathogens have been detected in data provided by China, however. But both China and the WHO have been accused of a lack of transparency in their initial reports on the COVID pandemic. So how can we believe them now? In fact, it's almost exactly four years to the date when the first COVID-19 cases were detected in the central Chinese city of Wuhan in the latter months of 2019. And commentators have already highlighted how the wave of sickness was eerily similar to the reports that emerged just prior to COVID, which China was accused of covering up. The UK Health Security Agency They've already said we must keep an open mind about the cause of the mystery pneumonia. My goodness. Keep an open mind. And that we better do. Because I do not trust the CHICOMs. I do not trust the WHO. We see the consequences of that. In years 
of death, destruction, and chaos. Coming up, we'll tell you how this concern, this fear, has spread to Europe. Before we talk more about this outbreak in China and how this is now also affecting Europe, they are very concerned about this. We will give an opportunity for a caller to weigh in on something we discussed at the beginning of this broadcast. The BLM representative who basically said he is endorsing Trump. Chris writes in, by the way, amen, brothers don't like weakness. And he put in parentheses, Biden. Yeah. And we have a fresh example of weakness coming up a little bit later on. First, let's go out to a call from Paul in Charlotte. Good morning, Paul, and welcome. Mr. Coakley, it is an honor to chat with you this morning. I hope you're having a wonderful and blessed day. The honor is mine. Thank you. Thank you. So what's the over-under that all of a sudden we're going to hear that this BLM leader is expressing his internalized white supremacy? (laughs) Uh, Give it some time. It'll probably happen, won't it? Yeah, but that's a sucker's bet because you know what's coming. Hi, it's just, yes, you're absolutely right. You know, this is, you know, what's happened to this guy? He's got self-hatred. You know, uh, he has been affected by whiteness. He's betraying our movement. Yeah, it's <laughs> that is absolutely hilarious. We've really, make... we've really moved from Dr. King's vision of looking at people by the content of their character, haven't we? Yes, we blew that up a long time ago, didn't we? And it's really a shame because um, I'd rather look at people as people and not as a group. Yes, yes. You, uh, you know, this, you know, Paul, you've hit this on the head and, and this is really a solution for all of us. I, uh, you know, it was kind of interesting the other day I was having a conversation with someone who he was telling me that about someone who posted something on social media. Um, and it was a comment about, uh, he had noticed a friend of his had posted something about, well, I noticed that there's a member of the LGBTQ community on my page. Hey, you're very welcome. And this person said to me, you know, I'm not part of any community. I'm me. You know, and I think this goes to the heart of what you're talking about, Paul. Let's get out of all of this balkanization and let's just address each other. For who we are. You're Paul. I'm Vince. I absolutely agree with you, sir. I mean, all this stuff about uh, addressing people by pronouns and such because it shows respect. Hey, I could address somebody by their pronouns or by their preferred whatever and still treat them like a jerk. That doesn't mean I respect them. How I treat you as a person shows that I respect you. Yes, absolutely. And that's a long-term thing. That is not a, uh, what's the word I'm looking? That's not something esoteric, Paul. There's There's got to be much more depth here that we're building than these silly labels. Um, you're, you're absolutely right. Paul, yeah. thank you very much for your call. And I appreciate your sense of humor as well. It's very refreshing in this day and age where people take everything so, so seriously. I told you about what's taking place in China. Now, 
This concern is spread to Europe. Fresh epidemic fears as child pneumonia cases surge in Europe after China outbreak. Hospitals in China overrun with pneumonia cases as an uptick is recorded in the Netherlands. Cases of pneumonia in children rising in Europe as a second country reports an uptick in the deadly respiratory virus. The Netherlands Institute for Health Services Research reporting 80 out of every 100,000 children in the country between 5 and 14 came down with pneumonia last week. This comes after cases of the disease have surged in China with reports emerging that children's hospitals in Beijing have been overrun by children with pneumonia. The outbreak in the Netherlands, the biggest outbreak recorded in recent years. Pneumonia cases, most common at the peak of the 2022 flu season, with 60 recorded cases for every 100,000 children in the same age group. They don't have an explanation as to why pneumonia cases are increasing. The World Health Organization said common winter infections, rather than any new pathogens, are behind the spike, in China at least, China's health authorities have linked the surge in hospitalizations to common pathogens. These pathogens typically induce mild, cold-like symptoms. Nonetheless, the rise in pediatric admissions since May, especially in northern cities, is causing concern. We told you about this infection, this mycoplasma pneumonia infects the lungs and it's a frequent cause of walking pneumonia which typically only has mild symptoms that don't necessitate bed rest or hospitalization the netherlands has not had any restrictions in place for quite some time by the way as opposed to china which just got rid of its restrictions last year so this is something to keep an eye out for as it continues to spread still to come on the broadcast in the next hour we're going to talk about what's happening with our treasury bonds this is a story that our politicians in washington need to pay attention to all of these policies of spending and overspending and accumulating debt are coming back to bite us on the posterior We'll tell you what's happening with the market for treasury bonds. Also, you heard the comments about weakness and how this is not appreciated among among men. Well, we're certainly seeing this now out of the White House. They are now (laughs) communicating something directly from the president, by the way, about the possibility that Israel... Well, maybe they need to adjust their strategy of getting rid of Hamas. This is just absolutely mind-boggling. Plus, I'll tell you about a genius. A genius. A very wealthy one who passed away. That much more as we continue our broadcast. Hour number two is straight ahead. Welcome to hour number two of the Vince Coakley radio program. 
I want to begin by telling you about someone you may not know. It's a name you probably have not heard of. At least most of you. I am very confident you've heard of Warren Buffett. Warren Buffett is very much a celebrity businessman. Pretty much everybody knows who he is. But you may not know about his right-hand man. I see this is part of what fascinates me and it's part of what I enjoy and and to me this goes beyond just show prep I just have a voracious curiosity to learn and to find out about things and to find out about people to find out about events and I remember as I was I was out in a public place yesterday and I came uh, across a television that was on and a store I saw this breaking news about this man who had passed away. And I'm like, who in the world is this person? So when I got back to a place I could look it up on the computer, I looked up this man and thought, okay, this makes a lot of sense. I know why they're calling this breaking news and they're giving this a lot of attention. This man's name is Charlie Munger. Characterized by CNBC... As an investing genius, Warren Buffett's right-hand man, he passed away at the age of 99. 99! This is a guy who made a fortune on his own before becoming vice chairman of Warren Buffett's Berkshire Hathaway. He was also a real estate attorney, philanthropist, and architect. Buffett said of Munger, we think so much alike, it's spooky. Munger passed away yesterday. The company saying it was advised by members of Munger's family he peacefully died at a California hospital. He would have turned 100 on New Year's Day. Buffett saying in a statement, Berkshire Hathaway could not have been built to its present status without Charlie's inspiration, wisdom, and participation. In addition to being Berkshire Vice Chairman Munger was a real estate attorney, chairman, and publisher of the Daily Journal Corporation, a member of the Costco board, a philanthropist, and an architect. What a full life. Uh, this just intrigued me. In early 2023, his fortune was estimated at $2.3 billion, a jaw-dropping amount for many people, but vastly smaller than Buffett's unfathomable fortune. Do you know how much Buffett is worth? Try on $100 billion. During Berkshire's 2021 annual shareholder meeting, the then 97-year-old Munger apparently inadvertently revealed a well-guarded secret that Vice Chair Greg Abel will keep the culture after the Buffett era. Munger wore thick glasses. He lost his left eye after complication from cataract surgery in 1980. He was chairman and CEO of Westco Financial from 1984 to 2011, when Buffett's Berkshire purchased the remaining shares of the Pasadena, California-based insurance and investment company it did not own. Buffett credited Munger 
with broadening his investment strategy from favoring troubled companies at low prices in hopes of getting a profit to focusing on higher quality but underpriced companies. An early example of the shift illustrated back in 1972 by Munger's ability to persuade Buffett to sign off on Berkshire's purchase of C's candles for $25 million, even though the California candy maker had annual pre-tax earnings of only about $4 million. Are you ready for the result? It has since produced more than $2 billion in sales for Berkshire. Buffett said he weaned me away from the idea of buying very so-so companies, very cheap prices, knowing there was some small profit in it, looking for some really wonderful businesses that we could buy in fair prices. Or as Munger put it in the 1998 Berkshire shareholder meeting, it's not that much fun to buy a business where you really hope this sucker liquidates before it goes broke. I just thought this was pretty intriguing to learn more about this man. And it's another example of what happens when you have somebody who is not really preoccupied with ego and being at the top. This is a guy who seemed perfectly comfortable with being somebody's right-hand man. I know many of you are out there thinking, yeah, I think if I had $2.3 billion, I probably wouldn't care either. <laughs> but I think you get the idea. And the flip side of this is how, how important this man was to Warren Buffett. So many times we see people and their success and we attribute it to that person and sometimes we don't recognize that there are others involved in that success i think it's very awesome that warren buffett at least has the humility to recognize a good part of his success came from this man who really didn't need him he was successful in his own right That's pretty awesome stuff. On the personal side, I also thought this was interesting. Munger and his wife had three children, daughters Wendy and Molly and son Teddy, who died of leukemia at age nine. The Mungers divorced in 1953. Two years later, he married Nancy Berry, whom he met on a blind date at a chicken dinner restaurant. The couple had four children, also the stepfather, to her two other sons. This is also cool. The Mungers, who were married 54 years until her death in 2010, contributed $43.5 million to Stanford University to help build the Munger Graduate Residence, which houses 600 law and graduate students. Talk about a legacy. I think that's awesome. They were married 54 years. That's another wonderful thing. 
Mr. Munger, when asked about the secret to a long and happy life, Munger said the answer is easy because it's so simple. You don't have a lot of envy. You don't have a lot of resentment. You don't overspend your income. You stay cheerful in spite of your troubles. You deal with reliable people and you do what you're supposed to do. All these simple rules work so well to make your life better. They're so trite. And staying cheerful because it's a wise thing to do. Is that so hard? And can you be cheerful when you're absolutely mired in deep hatred and resentment? Of course you can't. So why would you take it on? I don't know this man. I did not know this man. But I have a pretty good clue about why he did so well. The long marriage. The very basic common sense things that he followed. And he was gifted with some real financial wisdom, which has paid off not only for him and his family, but for others. I could see how someone just seeing this part about him losing a son to leukemia at age nine could become bitter. And this can ruin people's lives. Notice he says here, there's no room for hatred or resentment. We have to choose to be cheerful. Choose. Staying cheerful. It's a choice. And for that reason, that's the reason, all these things I shared, I wanted to bring this to your attention. So you would know a little bit more about this guy, Charles Munger. And I think we all have things that we can learn from his example. Still to come, we'll talk about treasury bonds and the challenge in selling them. And a little bit of nuance in the position coming out of the Biden administration on Israel. We'll talk about this and much more. So we continue our Wednesday broadcast. on the Vince Coakley radio program going to have a little fun right now how many of you are lovers of some good jazz big band music well I have something special for you in fact we're going to take caller number 12 to win two tickets to the Glenn Miller Orchestra concert at the Evans Auditorium it's coming up Sunday, December 17th, 3 o'clock in the afternoon. So burn up those phone lines right now. Caller number 12 wins those two tickets. So best of luck. Let's go out to a call from Ryan here in Charlotte. Good morning, Ryan. Welcome. Thanks. How's it going? Pleasure as always. Hey, going pretty well. Good to hear from you as well. I hope your Thanksgiving was well. Um, I want... I want, I want to talk. I want to talk about the, you know, the BLM leader because, um, uh, you know, I t- I, you and I have talked about this a few times. I, I think about a month or two ago, I told you that I, as a black man myself, I had talked to a few black people who were actually starting to feel the same way. You know, you know, they were starting to, they were starting to get off of all that too because a lot of them say what's happening now is a lot of crap, and 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 they they were they were fooled. Like a lot, a lot, of, a lot of them have been fooled into thinking a certain way. So for, for a BLM leader to, to um, you know, to do this, that shows you that, 
people are starting to open their eyes. Exactly what, what what you and I talked about. There's starting to open their eyes, and they're starting to realize, you know, uh, uh, not just a little bit, but a lot actually. They're starting to realize what what's really going on here. I was um I was coming out of the store the other day, and I'm, I, I had my and yeah, they're struggling, but uh, but I had I had my Carolina Panthers gear on, and I, I I had these three three white guys, you know, came up to me, and you know. Black, black people would have called them rednecks and this and that. They probably were, but they stopped me and they said, "Hey, you're still. Um, I got to give you credit, my brother. You're still wearing that even 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 after they're struggling." And I said, "Yeah, I'm loyal." And we started talking, you know, you know, and and and, the, and these guys, you know, they were, you know, obviously rednecks, rednecks. And years ago, I would years ago, I, um, people would have been trying to tell me that rednecks were racist and and hated hated me and this and that. And we sat there and had a nice conversation, you know, me and these guys, and they were addressing me as brother. I was calling them brother. I mean, it was like it was. It was it was an awesome thing. It was an awesome experience, and they even said we talked a little bit about the politics thing, and they were even like, "Man, it's like you know, you're definitely educated that you know your stuff." But like, we're too afraid, you know. And, and this is what really got me was they said we're too afraid to tell how we really feel, you know, around a lot of people because if we don't say what, the right thing or say what they want to hear, they're going to call us racist and all kinds of stuff. And, and I was like, "Well, you guys shouldn't have to go through that. That's not fair to them either. They shouldn't be afraid." You know, on the flip side. Um, you know, people are afraid to be honest and tell the truth too because of how they're going to be, you know, portrayed, and that's not true. But that was really, you know, talking with them was a really good experience. And if and if you had seen me and them walking together, people would have been like, "What do they have in common?" And it's all common. <laughs> yeah, but that was that was that was an awesome awesome conversation. That just goes to show you know, people want to be honest, but they're afraid to. It, it goes back, and I'll leave you with this. It goes back to a comment you made when the George Floyd stuff was going on. I told my white friends the same thing. I don't need you guys bragging that you hang out with black people or posting things to prove you're not racist. Like your actions will show that actually it makes you look yep. more suspicious when you suspicious, when you stand up and feel like you have to flaunt that in front of everybody. Uh huh. Amen to that. And, uh, I so appreciate what you've communicated. It's great to hear from you, Ryan. And, and again, communicating the idea that we just never know the outside can fool you so much. You have no idea whatsoever what's going on in the hearts of people around you. And we get hung up on the exterior, on labels and things like that. And sometimes when we break through all of that stuff, we find out, wow, this person very much like me. We're not too different at all as human beings. Very important discovery to make. You will often hear me talk about how our politicians are destroying our country and they're doing so by stacking on debt after debt after debt and there's no end to it well semaphore has a story as to why this really needs to change here's the headline of their story nobody wants US Treasury bonds well imagine that once a symbol of America's economic might and accepted as a global coin of the realm, they've fallen badly out of favor, with serious consequences for taxpayers, investors, and financial markets. Elementary economic forces, too much supply, not enough demand, have collided to create the worst stretch for U.S. government bonds since the Civil War. If that doesn't sober us up, I don't know what will. The government keeps borrowing to cover its budget deficits, while once reliable buyers of that debt, both at home and abroad, they've pulled back. The result? Investors are demanding the steepest yield since 2007. Auctions of fresh bonds that were once routine are now going terribly. 
and bond portfolios are getting absolutely hammered. The longest-dated Treasury bonds are in a bear market worse than the dot-com bust and almost as bad as 2008. The government is borrowing more than expected, increasing the supply of treasuries and dinging their value. So in other words, it's bad enough already. It's kind of like having somebody who is just fall over, falling over drunk and you continue to serve the alcohol. Hey, you want one more drink? This is what's happening with the Fed right now and our politicians. Meanwhile, the Federal Reserve is selling down its own holdings, dumping yet more bonds into a market that doesn't really want them. We're going to talk more about this coming up after the break. Oh, my goodness. Is anybody paying attention to this? This is a real crisis. Not so many of these stupid things that politicians seem to want to talk about. This is really a fundamental threat to our economic survival as a country. We better get our act together. Back on the Vince Coakley radio program. I'm telling you how nobody wants U.S. Treasury bonds. There's no interest. What's the reason behind this? Well, they're turning, (laughs) gradually, they're turning into junk. Already, 2.5% of the U.S. economic output is going to service existing debts, a number some analysts expect to hit 4% by 2030. Already running huge deficits. The only way for Treasury, listen to this carefully, the only way for Treasury to pay the interest, along with ambitious spending programs, like the CHIPS Act and student loan forgiveness, is to keep borrowing. This is pure madness, isn't it? But from whom? China and Japan, once reliable buyers of treasury bonds, have been selling them to prop up their weakening currencies. A decade ago, they held more than 22% of U.S. government bonds. Today, it's 7%. The Ukraine war has dampened demand among Eastern European buyers. Increasing U.S. oil production means fewer petrodollars in the Middle East to be reinvested through the Treasury market. See, this is also interesting. This grabbed my attention. This could be another reason why many of the big government people do not want to increase U.S. oil production because... Our dollar is propped up by petrodollars. And if there's less demand for petrodollars, this weakens our dollar. This is such a mess. U.S. banks are also stepping back. During the pandemic, they parked a flood of new deposits in government bonds because they had nowhere else to put them. Demand for loans was light. Now that deposit glut is easing and businesses are borrowing again. So what do they need this crap for? I just thought you ought to know (laughs) what is going on. And this is a direct result of our government 
and its spending policies, which show no sign of changing whatsoever. And I don't care whether it's Democrats or Republicans, they are not changing. Before I go into the story about Joe Biden and what's going on in the Middle East, I am happy to tell you discussions are ongoing about extending the truce, which has resulted in the freeing of a number of hostages. International mediators are still trying to extend this, encouraging Hamas and Israel to continue exchanging hostages for prisoners. The five-day ceasefire is set to expire today. Now, Israel said it will refrain from striking Gaza if Hamas keeps releasing hostages taken by the Palestinian militant group on October 7th. Hamas leaders have likely relocated to southern Gaza. So, stay tuned. Hopefully there will be more releases, and hopefully those will include Americans who are still in custody. (sighs) Let us also talk about this president, which I'm just shaking my head with the story. Breitbart reporting, Biden pressure on Israeli tactics will leave Hamas intact and in power. A source within the Israeli government told Breitbart, U.S. President Joe Biden's pressure would lead to Hamas surviving the war intact rather than allowing Israel to destroy Hamas or remove its military and governing capabilities. The White House has acknowledged that Israel intends to continue fighting Hamas after the current pause sought by Biden to allow the release of hostages ends later this week. The Israelis have been pretty clear that once the pauses are complete, the hostages exchanges are over. They intend to continue their military operations against Hamas. However, the White House is no longer clearly stating it shares that goal. And the Israeli government privately believes Biden is prepared to tolerate the survival of Hamas, despite the fact Hamas and other terror groups would see that as a victory. The reason Israel believes this is Biden's goal is the U.S. administration is imposing onerous conditions on the Israel Defense Forces regarding its operations in Gaza, such that defeating Hamas has become almost impossible. The United States has warned Israel it must fight more surgically and avoid further mass displacement of Palestinians in its war against Hamas to avoid a humanitarian crisis that overwhelms the world's ability to respond. American officials have told the Israelis any coming military operations should not hamper the flow of power and water or impede the work of humanitarian sites like hospitals and UN-supported shelters in South and Central Gaza. Neither the U.S. nor neighboring Egypt, a U.S. allies, made plans to allow residents of Gaza to leave the area during fighting, nor have any other Arab countries offered to take in Palestinians, meaning Israel alone bears the risk to Palestinian civilians. Is this by accident? Of course not. What we're watching is a weak-kneed president, which is not a surprise to any of us. 
this is pretty much standard fare for this administration. I just thought you should know that this is what we should expect. It is quite disturbing. And this does not mean I support Israel doing whatever. But it does mean that this administration is not to be depended on for its support. It's really that simple. Still to come on the broadcast, more propaganda out of Hamas. And as usual, the American media just eats this up. We'll talk about this and much more as we continue the broadcast. Final stretch of the Vince Coakley radio program on this Wednesday. Alan out of Gastonia writes in, Hamas is to Islam what the KKK is to Christianity. An inconvenient truth. Hmm. Pretty interesting comparison there. Speaking of Hamas, did you see the wonderful propaganda carried out yesterday? Breitbart reports Hamas terrorists are evidently trying to improve their image. Posing Tuesday for a photograph with a freed Israeli hostage girl who is seen holding a cute puppy. The terror organization apparently trying to show a humanitarian face after murdering 1,200 people in Israel October 7th, including children, often in brutal fashion. During one attack recorded on Hamas GoPro videos, terrorists were seen shooting a dog to death October 7th. But suddenly... They're animal lovers, according to the photo. Evidence has also emerged of torture committed by the terrorists against child hostages. Deborah Cohen, the aunt of Aitan Yahalomi, 12-year-old, who's a dual French-Israeli citizen, told French TV that Aitan apparently saw horrors over there in Gaza. Hamas forced Aitan to watch a horror film of October 7th that no one could bear to watch. Every time that child, every time that a child cried over there, they threatened the child with a gun to be quiet. She added the child hostages had been beaten when they arrived in Gaza after being kidnapped by Hamas. The hostage in one of these photos Maya Lindbergh, a 17-year-old from Jerusalem, one of 10 Israeli hostages, nine women, one child, two foreign nationals, getting released as part of a two-day extension to the pause negotiated by Hamas and Israel through Egyptian and Qatari mediators. So, pose with a little girl and her puppy. By the way, Breitbart reports the dog in the picture is Lindbergh's own dog, Bella, who she managed to take with her when she was kidnapped. That's at least a little bit of consolation to know that her best friend was there to keep her company through an unimaginable experience. Let's take a look at the day in history. Bernie, how are you doing today? I'm all right, Vince. I hope you are, sir. Uh, not bad so far. We have a total of nine items we will zip through. 
1929, Commander Richard Byrd makes the first flight over this place that is uh, way, 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 way down on the other side of the world. It's very cold there. Does this be Antarctica? Well, you're oh, close. The South Pole? The oh, South Pole okay, is absolutely go. correct. I guess that would be up more. 1933. No. The... Authorities in Pennsylvania authorized the first state-run liquor stores. Isn't that wonderful? 1942, a lot of people, I don't know how they would function, because a lot of people cannot function throughout the day without drinking this first thing in the morning. But this was rationed in 1942 in the U.S. because of the war. Coffee. What was it? Coffee. All right. How in the world would people function? I don't drink coffee, actually. Um, yeah. Never been a fan of coffee, unfortunately. I've heard yeah, great I, things, though. No great loss, because I don't care for it either. It smells great, though. I love the smell. <laughs> 1961, NASA launches a chimp named Enos into space. 1973, this game maker introduced Pong, the first commercially successful video game. Do you know who made Pong? Is it Atari? Atari! You're absolutely correct. There we go. 1977, this company registered the trademark for this computer. It's a fruit. What it, did they register? Would it be uh, the Mac or would it be Apple? Macintosh? It is. You said it already. It's Apple. Apple, okay. They registered that trademark. 1981, actress Natalie Wood drowned. 1991, a dust storm caused a massive pileup on a California highway, killing 17 people. And interestingly enough, we just recently had the release of the song by the Beatles, um, 2001. 22 years ago today, George Harrison actually passed away. Oh, wow. We're going to have a little fun here, Bernie. You are a person who used to be a single guy not too long ago. Yes, sir. I'm ready for your reaction to this story. The Daily Express. Girlfriend dumps partner over a disgusting bedtime habit that most men do. When I heard this, I was shocked. The pair moved in together for the first time, but soon after she discovered his attitude to an important household task left much to be desired. A woman opened up about the disgusting reason she had to break up with her boyfriend. I was thinking one thing, by the way, that turned out not to be. But statistics suggest he's not the only man known to engage in this dirty habit. The pair had moved in together the first time after dating for two years, but within a few months she discovered with horror he only washes his sheets mm. twice a year. Ooh. Ooh. That's a deal breaker. The unnamed woman was appalled and insisted they had to be washed weekly. It sparked an argument between the couple with the woman recently deciding to share their fiery text to Reddit for the sake of others. In the text exchange, the unnamed man originally claimed he washed the sheets every two months. Boy, that's so much better. <laughs> Even that deemed disgusting to his girlfriend. Oh, my gosh. She wrote, I can't be the only one who thinks this is absolutely disgusting, right? Every two months is already really gross. Yeah. Yeah, in my house, we do it. It's it's at least, God, if it's 10 days, that's kind of a long time. We try to do it weekly if we can. Uh, but we have two dogs as well that sleep in the bed with us. So we get dog hair and all that kind of stuff. But Pete made a great point. How often do you change out your pillows? Yeah, that's another good Like question. completely get brand new pillows because all that, you know. 
Dirty, dirty, yeah, it collects on the Well, floor, here's so. the interesting thing. Experts have revealed your bed sheets need to be washed every two weeks in order to prevent a buildup of dust mites, which feed off dead skin cells Ugh. and bodily fluids. Oh, my God. But data released at the start of the year suggests nearly half of single men admit they wait as long as four months before bothering to wash them. A further 12% of respondents said they washed them when they remembered to do so, which could be even longer. I, I, I can't get over this. Mm. I mean, I cannot imagine going this long without changing your sheets. This is disgusting. Absolutely disgusting. By the way, well, I'll just leave it there. <laughs> I'm just glad to know, Bernie, you aren't one of these people. No, sir. No, th you no probably thank you. You probably wouldn't be married. If no, I don't think my marriage would still be going on right now, or even it would have gotten that far if, if that was me. Exactly. <laughs> my goodness. Well, that's all the time we have. We thank you very much for joining us today. Have yourselves a great day, and God bless you. Adios.